remember that, and I'm looking for that next time. And I apologize for not pointing that out this morning before we got reading our responsive reading. I'm going to ask you to turn with me now to 1 John chapter 3 and uh, verses 4 through 6. 1 John chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6. Now, in these verses, you have before you three truths. You have the truth about sin, the truth about Jesus, and the truth about the unrepentant sinner. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we look at these things together. Father in heaven, we come in our Savior's name asking you now to feed us out of your word. We are your sheep, Lord, and we look to you for that instruction, that correction, that, Lord, um, building up of our most holy faith. Lord, we're dependent upon your love for us to bring about those things in our hearts and in our lives. So, Lord, we come asking for that blessing now as we look together at this portion of your truth. Hear our prayers for Christ's sake. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. First of all, you have here the truth about sin. In 1 John 3, 4, John writes, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. I want you to notice first the personal character of John's comment here. He breaks it down to the individual. You can read this as each one or any individual who makes a practice of sinning, that one practices lawlessness. He's not speaking here in general terms, but he's setting before each individual reader what may well be the truth about his or her behavior. If one is in the habit of sinning, he or she is also practicing lawlessness. Now, notice also that John identifies sin here for exactly what it is, lawlessness. Those who are unfamiliar with the term sin, or take that term lightly, don't always understand that it's any want of conformity to the law of God, or any transgression of that law. And it amounts, in the eyes of God, to an act of lawlessness. Now, That might sound like a simple statement of fact. If you're one who keeps on sinning, you are, in effect, a lawless person. But it's more than that. Because being in such a state, being in the state of lawlessness, carries the most serious consequences in the eyes of God. If you turn to Matthew chapter 7, You'll find Jesus saying this in Matthew chapter 7 and beginning with verse 18. Jesus says there, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness. Sin. Lawlessness. The habitual practice of sinful lawlessness condemns such a one even though he or she might have prophesied or taught in Christ's name or cast out demons or done other mighty works. Again, in his explanation of his parable of the sower, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 37 through 43. He says there, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, or practicers of lawlessness. Same word. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So you see, the truth is that the one who practices lawlessness is in a very precarious position and in grave danger. Sin is, however, much more than that. Sin is simply lawlessness, but it's also the rejection of the legitimate authority of God, the Creator, over His creation, over us. It's the rejection of his goodwill and his love for all people that's ensconced in his law. His law is not just set up for his glory, beloved, but it's set up for our blessing. And when we determine to live lawlessly, we're saying we don't want that goodness in our lives. We don't want his authority over us. We don't want his goodwill. We don't want his love. It's the rejection of God's wisdom and of his justice. And this, the character of lawless disobedience, is important for the believer to remember as well. It's as important for us to remember as it is for the unrepentant sinner to remember. May every Christian pray, Let me be true and loyal to the law. Let me love and fear the law. 
Let me take my stand on the law of my God, doing righteousness according to the law of the righteous Father, unsparingly and unflinchingly, without equivocation or evasion, condemning, shunning, hating sin as the transgression of the law, says Candlish. Not for the justification of our souls, but for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in that spirit that we have this love for his law. People imagine that when they spurn God's law, they'll live by their own law. Forgetting or refusing to believe that they're sinners and that to live by sin is not to exercise law at all, but lawlessness. They find themselves driven by their passions and driven by their feelings and their desires and their lusts. And they'll justify and do anything to satisfy those desires and lusts. We're surrounded in the room here by electricity. But we've subjected that electricity to to certain controls or laws. Saying you'll go here and you'll power this and you'll power that. We have controls on how much of it will enter the building and controls on what it does when it does enter the building, what it will do. Imagine if that power were unleashed with no controls. It would produce fire, bring mayhem, and cause chaos if it wasn't under control. And this is the state of the one who lives in and by sin. The lawlessness that results brings a fire. It brings mayhem. It brings chaos into life. And it ends with judgment. And the evidence of the truth of that is all around us. Where we see people who are just living freely in their lawlessness, in their sinfulness. And their lives are a misery. If you turn back to the beginning, and by back to the beginning, I mean back to Genesis chapter 4. You find that Cain is struggling within himself, and he's disappointed. Because when he tried to be a law unto himself, his efforts were rejected by the author of the one true law. And the Lord speaks frankly to Cain, and he says to him in Genesis 4 and verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Calvin says the import of this passage is that to preserve life of those who indulge themselves in the liberty of sinning is hateful to God and cannot be born with by him, because it is contrary to the law. The first truth, then, that we see here is that sin is lawlessness, John says, and lawlessness is sin. They're interchangeable terms, and the one who practices sin practices lawlessness, whoever he or she may be. Now, the next thing he says, has to do with the truth about Jesus Christ. And that's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. He says there, You know that he, that is Jesus, 
appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. God now says that you, that you all, or all of you, now he's dealing with the plural, are aware or are acquainted with the fact that Jesus was made manifest or was caused to appear in the world so that he should be taking away or lifting off of us our sins, adding that in him there is no sin. From the beginning, this was the proclaimed purpose of Christ's coming. The angel said to Joseph at the time of Christ's appearing, that Mary would bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When the Savior began his public ministry, John the baptizer, seeing him, says in John one twenty nine, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul said in his own way, in his first letter to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So the truth about Jesus is that he came to take away sin. Candley says he was manifested to take away our sins root and branch. Now the truth is that Jesus lifted your sins, if you are indeed his, off of you, and he took them upon himself. And as a result, they are really and forever taken from you. In addition, by doing this, He's made possible your sanctification, your growth in grace, or your being able to be conformed more and more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as... As the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And now, having removed our sin from us, having borne our sin, he calls on you and me as believers to walk in righteousness as he is righteous. And thus Paul explains to the Ephesians that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, that Jesus is the sinless Son of God is attested to everywhere in Scripture, and John makes reference to it here. But I believe that John's pointing here out something more. He's pointing out the fact that he lifted our sin from us and bore it before the judgment of the law. And anyone who allows sin to reign over him renders void the benefit derived from Christ since he came to destroy the reigning power of sin. 
So if someone insists on going on in sin, they're denying that Christ has delivered them from sin. And that brings us to the truth about the unrepentant sinner. That's in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And here, John returns to the individual again. So he starts out with the individual when he talks about knowing that sin is lawlessness. Then when he's talking about Christ, he says, and, and you all know why Christ came. And now he comes back to the individual and says, no one who abides in him keeps on or habitually sins in the same sin. He addresses the heart and the mind of every individual. And he says, no one, man, woman, or child, who is remaining or dwelling or standing in him, or rather in sin, that person is not living in Christ, but practicing lawlessness. No one, man, woman, or child, who is remaining or dwelling or abiding in him, does that. John had said earlier in 1 John 2 and verses 3 through 6, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And as we've seen throughout this study, beloved, when John's, what John says is based on what he heard Jesus teach, as in the vine and branches discourse. Where Jesus says in, in John 15, verses 9 through 11, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. John adds here, that no individual who lives a life of sin, not the one who sins occasionally, not the one who falls into this or, or that sin, um, but struggling against it and, and, and seeking to be freed from it, but the one who is living a life of sin, whose every aspect of life is sinful in one way or another, has either discerned or perceived who he is, who Christ is, or understood or grasped who he is as the Son of God and the Savior. If you're living that sort of life where you just habitually sin, you have not grasped who Jesus is. In other words, he or she is separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, is a stranger to the covenants of promise, and has no hope and is without God in the world. 
Because if we're separated from him, then we're still under the attachment and the burden of our sins. Unrepentant and bearing a crushing load that can produce nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we're about to eat the meal that Jesus says shows forth his sin-bearing death for all who believe. It's a fresh reminder that the burden and guilt of every lawless deed we engage in was carried by him to the cross. Where divine justice exacted every ounce of of just retribution upon him for our sakes. It was there at the cross that Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. It was there that he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted and redeemed all who believe from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. As the hymn says, You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here at the cross may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, the Son of God. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. Let all who abide in him flee sin and practice righteousness. May our prayer be, O Lord, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And let the unrepentant sinner forsake his or her lawlessness. Come to Christ, the sin bearer, and look on him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Look to him that you might escape the bondage of Satan and sin by believing in him who loved you and gave himself for you. This table is not for what Calvin calls those who vainly pretend to know and understand him. It's for those who know and believe. It's not for the one who practices lawlessness. It's for the one who flees sin, who's burdened by sin, who confesses sin, who repents of sin, and who prays for the strength and the grace to be able to walk in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's who it's for. The one who habitually sins and lives in lawlessness, that's the one who needs to forsake that life. Look to Christ. Come and feast with us and with him who appeared to take away sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are reminded here of the purpose of our Savior's appearing. He appeared.
to take away our sins. Lord, only you know the hearts of all who are before you this morning. You know the lawless ones. Lord, they know themselves. Lord, if there are any here who fit that description, I pray, Lord, that you would have mercy on them and that they would hear the call of the gospel this morning. That they would look away from that sin and to their Savior, the one who appeared to take away sin. Father, that they would abandon that life and by faith put their trust in the work of Christ at Calvary. And Lord, embrace a life that seeks to serve you in thought and word and deed. Every believer before you this morning, Lord, is thankful to have been redeemed and rescued from that lawless condition. We were in bondage to Satan and, Lord, lost in our sins. But you sent your Son to die for us. And through that sacrifice and through the application of that sacrifice to us, we have escaped all of that. And, Lord, we pray now that we may walk boldly and thankfully in the path that you have set before us. Living not by our passions and desires, but Lord, by your word and your truth. Grant us, Lord, that grace. And bless us as we come now to your table. Lord, may we find here encouragement and comfort again. That where we have offended, where we have transgressed, where we have been lawless. Christ has interposed himself on our behalf. And now we are free from the guilt of that sin because Christ appeared to take away our sins. And may you receive these elements with thanksgiving, reverence, and joy. For we ask it in that precious name, that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.